Yeah? 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 What was in there? Well... <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Fizzle Show. Too many interesting small businesses fail because the founders, though they have good ideas, they didn't understand the basics of sustainable, independent business. We are here to fill in those gaps. Your hosts are Corbett Barr. If uh, if we were singer-songwriters, he'd be Bruce Springsteen. Working class, faded jeans, he knows what counts and what doesn't. Caleb Wojcik, he'd be James Taylor. Sensitive, melodic. Tall, heartbreaker. And me, Chase Reeves. I'd be Bob Dylan because what the hell is he talking about? To be fair, I, I wanted to be Leonard Cohen, but I just couldn't make it work. Hello and welcome to 2014. You guys, it's the first podcast of the year and we have so much planned and it all starts right here. This is the first episode in a series of podcasts that we're doing to get you to start thinking about how to make your first product. Okay, by the end of it, we want you to have a roadmap, insights, and an idea, and no more excuses. So what we did was this. We called up some successful friends of the show. These are people supporting themselves and their families. They're doing stuff they care about. They're making things they're proud of. And we asked them to tell the story of making their first product. These interviews are awesome, and we ask plenty of follow-up questions to get you their best tips and tricks about how to make your own thing, okay? So this is the first episode in that series. A little bit different, but we think you're really going to like it because when you hear these interviews all back to back like this, when you hear how many people have the same stories and say the same things, maybe it'll get through that thick head of yours that, my goodness, everybody says, I wish I would have done it sooner. My goodness, everyone says, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time making that first one and got people indoors sooner took their feedback and made it even better the next time. Listen, there's so many great tips and tricks that we get for you here, uh, and you're going to love it. And then at the second half of the episode, it's Corbett, Caleb, and I talking through a common roadblock that keeps you from making your product. And in this episode, we talk about where do I get my idea from? Okay? So we tackle that and much more right here. You're going to like it. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. So let's get into it. Okay, so in the next few episodes, my what I want to do, you guys, is I want to um, feature the sort of what I'm calling first product stories of a bunch of great small-time and, and successful entrepreneurs. Um, These are like virginity stories? Yeah, a, a little bit, uh, Corbett, except for that they're classier than that. Okay, and there's not so much crying involved. There's much less client crying. Much much less crying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll talk a bit about like uh, we'll hear their stories, okay, and then uh, and then us three we'll talk about them, and then in each episode we'll sort of uh, I don't know, give some tips and tricks of our own about breaking through some common roadblocks uh, to getting you know to getting your product out there, and and so I, I kind of want to stop at that because there's more I want to say, but some of it gets gets at. There's just such a great way of like getting to some of the basics of this product stuff. So you guys want to get started? Yeah, let's, yeah, do, let's it. do it. Here's Anne Samoylov, blogger and founder of Fearless Launching, a step-by-step course for launching your first anything. So Anne, tell me about the first thing that you built for sale for your business. That could be a product or a service or whatever. 
Uh, well, I was going to tell you about an ebook, but really that I created, but honestly, that wasn't really when I had a business really happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess the first product was Fearless Launching, and that's it was an info product. It still is for uh, beginning online entrepreneurs, and it was really focused on really two audiences of people when, when I first started, because that's why I created it. Okay. How did you come up with that idea? Was this was this something that you had experience with already? Uh, yeah. Um, prior to, you know, I kind of always knew that I was going to create something around the topic of launching, but I didn't really feel like I was allowed to for some reason. I didn't really have the confidence just yet, which was really kind of silly because I had spent the two years prior to this Prior to that moment of decision, uh, working with Marie Forleo on like the first two launches of B-School and Laura Roeder on all of her launches. I had worked for 10 plus years even in, in Hollywood producing visual effects, TV, film projects, all of this kind of stuff. Basically, like I had plenty of experience, but for some reason I hesitated in even making this in the first place. But uh, upon, you know, I, I do say that I definitely had an inside view of the audiences inside B School specifically, mm-hmm. which is Marie's uh, program and Creating Fame, which is Laura's. And I just saw that there was like, well, I'm like, well, what are these people going to do next? What are right. they going to do next? So I kind of, and I saw a lot of their, I mean, Actually, I don't even want to say a lot. I saw all of the comments that came back with, you know, when we asked people, what are they still struggling with? What do they need now? And when I first came up with the idea of doing this, I even brought it to Laura. And I, you know, I brought it to her because obviously I worked with her at the time. I'm not going to just go off and create something that's based on her customer base, Mm -hmm. you know. So she didn't want to do the product. And I said, okay, well, then I think I'm going to develop this. And I just, I started at that point, which was like September, um, and I launched it in February of the next year. So this is really interesting because you had the experience, you knew who the audience was, and you had evidence that the audience wanted this thing, and yet you hesitated for two years, you said. What do you think that was? What do you think the hesitation was all about? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, I think part of it was just not really... Honestly, the whole project management thing has always been like this kind of I don't want to say it's the bane of my existence, but it kind of has been because I have oh, I've been like producing since the womb. Practically, I walked mm-hmm. out of the you know I was doing this when I was a kid. I was making very detailed kind of plans and shows, and so I I really just kind of kept pushing it back as like oh this isn't this isn't a sexy enough idea. This isn't cool enough. And at the time, I don't know if you remember this Corbett, but I was like really struggling with my blog, and I always call myself a blogger with no clue. Like mm-hmm. I had. I wanted to like have this, you know, productivity and self-awareness and all this, like that kind of topic. And I wasn't really seeing the value in something that I just did every single day as something that I could share. Yeah. Crazy. So what, (laughs) and and something that we hear from a lot of people um, over and over again, something that I struggled with too. Um, So, so what happened as a result of this? Like, what did this do for your business? Um, well, honestly, it did a lot for my confidence, really. That was the first thing. You know, I just decided, I made the decision, I flipped a switch, I started putting out the content. I really didn't put it, put a lot of launch content on my blog or whatever for too long. It was like a month, and then I launched, 
And then I was like ready to do it again. As soon as I saw people come in the door, I was like, well, why didn't I do this before? This is ridiculous. And I think it just set me on a path. I there, uh, there was no other choice. I'm like, okay, when am I doing this again? I immediately, like within a month of doing this, I already got people asking, oh, I know you just did this. I missed it. When are you going to do it again? And that was just the cue to me. Okay, we'll just go with this. Let's let's develop this as the, the signature program. And at the time, I was still working with Laura, so it was totally fine. I didn't have like this fully developed business plan of what I was going to, what other things I would do. And it was, it just kind of put me a little bit, I don't want to say it put me on the map, but it made me feel like I was definitely on the land, in the landscape, on the map. People were starting to talk about it. Yeah. Um, And that was great. So I think I might know the answer to this, um, but what, looking back on this, do you wish that you had done differently? Uh, well, um, the, okay. So the thing that I look back on and I, I am not the type of person to think about, you know, the, I am thinking about numbers. Of course, I'm thinking about revenue. I'm thinking about those very specific things that make you, you're in business, make, <laughs> let you know you're in business and that you shouldn't go get a job. Right. So, so I know that, but I also know that, um, so I just wish that I had charged more at the beginning. Mm. I just, I undercharged myself because I was afraid people wouldn't show up. So I'm like, oh, if I make it really cheap, people will show up. Or I kind of, I kind of like was mimicking what I was seeing in different parts of the like info product landscape. But what I wasn't taking into consideration was I was looking at, let's say Amy Porterfield's products were like at the time her FB influence, she was not like physically there when people bought that. Those were like standalone. People bought them. They did them at their own pace. Same thing with like Lewis Howe's. Same thing with a lot of, a lot of Laura's things. Yep. And they were charging around 97. So that's what I charged. And I knew that that was a mistake when in September, I raised the price to 497 and I got more people in. From so, from 97 to 497. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and actually, I, I actually got the confidence, again, the push from the people who took it the first time around. They were just like, so we're not going to say we want you to charge us this, but why don't you charge more next time, please? Um, and it's because I am so there in the process. We do have live calls. I do some, you know mentoring a little bit on the side via email, probably more than I should. Um, so I knew that there was value. And then the next time when I raised it again, just this past spring, I raised it uh, a few more hundred, double the people came in. And so the pricing was really like that thing where I guess I just didn't, again, see the value or my value and wasn't able to just be like, yeah, this is how much it costs. Yeah. Um, so what I'm hearing is Charge more than you think you should because you're probably underestimating the value of the thing that you're creating. And secondly, just purely do it earlier than, than you're planning on because, or just, just get out there and do it because two years can go by and the situation doesn't necessarily change much except that you finally have the confidence to put something out. Right. And one more thing, Corbett, um, you know, the, the final, the final thing that made me decide, okay, just get this course finished already, and you've already been thinking about it. You have it outlined, all this stuff. The final thing was the fall before Natalie Lucier launched a program. 
um, about launching. Mm-hmm. And instead of just, instead of going, oh, why did Natalie do that? I actually said, hey, Natalie, I'll be one of your bonuses. And she interviewed me about the launch for B-School. And as a result of that, there were several people that kind of came from her program to mine. Do you know? So it was definitely like, like her, that movement that she made. I'm like, oh, I guess this is a topic that I can probably add value to. And thank you so much for taking some time to share this with us. You're, you're very welcome, Corbett. Thank you. Here's Matt Alexander, founder of NeedLifestyle.com, a startup in men's fashion with all the right backers, making all the right moves. What has it been like to make your, your first like product? It's been an extremely surreal experience because I've helped so many other people launch their own products. Yeah. And when you're in that whole process, uh, you don't really have any of the risk. You're mm-hmm. just sort of, you, you latch onto someone else's idea and you adopt and emulate some semblance of passion about it and you sort of run along with it. And when your role is done, then, you know, it's done and you walk away. Um, with need over the past year, you know, I started with this and it was very much sort of, oh yeah, we'll launch later this year. And it was very much this abstract notion that it would someday be a thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, actually having it come out and suddenly where people used to have no idea what I did and it was no consequence to them what I did for a living. Yeah. Uh, people actively care about it now. And I have suddenly all these expectations. So it's been this weird shift over the past few weeks where I've gone from um, sort of just quietly doing my thing to suddenly offering a product for people to buy into and register for and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big, 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 big difference. So you just purely on a psychological and emotional level. So that's been probably the biggest thing. Yeah. So like having experienced what you have thus far in this journey, um, what do you wish you would have known? Like just at the, be- at the beginning of this thing? Um, I don't know. There's probably the, probably the biggest wisdom is that, um, you know, you, I had this expectation and I was quite difficult myself at the, at the early part of it that um, I felt inadequate every time I couldn't answer a question perfectly for an investor hmm. or for, you know, a potential customer, a potential partner or whatever it was. Yeah. And I looked at it that I had an idea in an industry that I didn't necessarily know too much about beyond just sort of being interested in it. And, um, so I had this feeling of inadequacy, but what I really sort of came to appreciate over the sort of eight, six to eight months or so that we would, that I'd been doing it was, um, that it, that was actually kind of a value and a virtue of what I was doing that I had, I didn't necessarily know the granularities of that industry and that that was actually of benefit to the way I was running things. Hmm. How so did it make you like my, my, it makes me think, my first hunch would be like it made you maybe idealistic about a thing or uh, kind of run headstrong in this direction and not the other direction when the whole market was already talking about the other direction. You were just like, no, that's not matter. That doesn't matter. This stuff matters over here. What, in what ways? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's, it's a fairly sort of well-known notion, but it's one, it was one that I was aware of, but it was one that I hadn't, you know, fully had to experience. In yeah. my day-to-day. And that's the, you know, um, if you're trying to build, a company or a product to challenge and change the perception of, you know, whatever else is happening in that space. Mm-hmm. 
the last thing you should do is hire someone or work exclusively with people that already work in that space. Mm. Uh, just because they'll have a lot of preconceived notions about the way things should be done and it will be steeped in sort of this historical sort of this is what it, the way it's always been done yeah. or the way it's been done up to this point. And so for us, it's not that, you know, needs a disruptive idea. It's not really. It's a niche product. Um, but going into it with a fresh set of eyes into a space, particularly in mine where, where it's quite, you know, it's, you know, fashion, lifestyle, all that sort of stuff, where it's, it can be quite an insular sort of space. Going into that with a fresh set of eyes and yeah, it's some immaturity and some naivete. It's, it's, it's been useful in a, in a very sort of roundabout way. So I get the sort of the condensed moral of that story is that um, going into it, I had nothing but the value of a good idea. Yeah. And there was this feeling that I needed to have far, 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 far more than that. And that I needed to be able to justify myself as someone in this space to so many different people. But realistically, um, all you really need is a good idea and the attitude that you can listen to those around you and you can learn from what they've done and that you can be humble and open with the fact that you have no idea what you're doing because realistically no one else does either really. But it's just about trying to sort of justify doing it your own way too. That was good. Thanks, man. Here's Leo Babauta, founder of zenhabits.net, one of the internet's top 50 sites, like literally in the world, and a guy who drinks tea slowly and serves his audience matterfully. Well, first of all, what was your very first product that you made? Yeah, I remember it very clearly. It was a book called Zen to Done. It was okay. a book. Yeah, it was about uh, simple productivity. And so, okay, going going back then to that old to that Leo of old, um, <laughs> what what was it like making that product? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. Um, it was about eleven months in after my blog started, mm-hmm. and my blog had been taking off um, and and forming a lot of readers. And I was trying to do things like put ads and affiliate marketing and things like that to make any kind of money off of all these readers that were coming in. And I realized the thing I really wanted to do was create something of value to them rather than just selling their attention. Um, and a bunch of my readers really liked this series of posts that I did. I think I did like five to 10 different posts um, with the title Zen to Done. And it was a, about a system that I've been creating for myself about simplifying your productivity system and tying that in with like good habits and simplicity, minimalism, things like that. And um, they liked it so much, they said, you should write a book about this. And I said, huh. <laughs> I was like, well, if people think I should write a book about it, maybe I should. And so I just took all of those blog posts that I've been writing and I compiled them into a- an ebook, but I, I redid them and I added more stuff to it and I, I put it into a nice design. And um, it turned out to be um, one of my best sellers of all time. In fact, people still buy it to this day. So it's pretty amazing. So. I love that. So you were you were you had written these posts, and then you got the feedback from people that they loved it, and then you sort of compiled the, those posts together into right. making. Now, did, was there a whole lot of editing or, or changes yeah. going on? So I, I didn't want it just to be like, okay, here's a copy and paste of all my blog posts that you could have gotten on my blog for free. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, that's why are you going to pay for that? Um, and so I, uh, what I did was, uh, I took those and used them as the foundation for the system. But I wrote a, like an introduction. I changed them so that it wasn't, didn't sound like blog posts. I added more chapters and I put in some guides and stuff towards the end. 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was like taking that and then, you know, doubling it and, and revising it and uh, making it more of a book. I love that. Okay. So thinking back to then, uh, since then you, you've, have you made some more products? Yeah, I made a bunch of, I've done a print book. I've done a few different uh, eBooks, including some free ones. Um, I've done courses. I have a membership system. Um, where I do monthly content and webinars and things like that. Okay, so, uh, so given, yeah, given all of that stuff that you've built since then, going right. back to that first, you know, that that Leo who's making that first product, what do you wish? What, what do you wish you could just like kind of have implanted in his head? What do you wish you would have known then? You know, it, it was actually a really good learning process um, that I. Um, that I wouldn't change really because it, it taught me a lot of different things. Uh, but like one of the things was when I put it out, I'm like, well, you know, maybe no one's going to like it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Maybe no one will buy it. And so I remember sitting there um, and I was using eJunkie at the time to sell the ebook and manage the downloads and all of that. I remember sitting there watching, refreshing the page that said, um, you know, were there any sales? I remember seeing the first sale come in. I'm like, yes, at least one person bought it. You know, it wasn't a total waste of time. And then, you know, five people and then 10. And then pretty soon it was like hundreds. And uh, it was this feeling of elation that I had never felt as a blogger or, um, you know, this fledgling business that I had started. Yeah. And that was amazing. Um, and I, all the other products that came after, I've never uh, felt anything quite like that before because it was like a validation of not only of myself, but of, what I was trying to put out into the world that people found it valuable. Yeah. And one of the lessons I also learned was that because I had been blogging for 11 months and built up a readership that really liked what I was doing, they trusted me already. And so when you start a new business and you just throw something out there with, and people don't know who you are, mm, yeah. there's no real built in trust. So blog is a great way to build up trust and show that you are genuine and sincere and really do want to help people and have the knowledge. So you're giving away stuff for free, but that shows, it proves uh, with hard evidence that you have the knowledge and, and skills that people need. Um, and so by looking at your free stuff on your blog, then once you put out your, your product, um, they already, they're pre-sold. You know, I mean, unless it's put out on else's blog, um, if it's on your blog, your blog readers already trust you and know that you have good stuff. Oh, I love that. So, okay. Also going back again to, to that first product guy, um, yeah. or, or in all of the products that you've kind of made since then, what uh -huh. have, do, are, have there been some things that you've focused on or worried about that just ended up not being very important? Yeah, I think I was, I was worried a lot about, you know, numbers in the beginning, mm. not only how many sales, but, um, all kinds of different things. Like where was the traffic coming from? Who were, you know, my affiliates, uh, so I, I had an affiliate um, system back then, mm -hmm. um, and I don't do that anymore. Um, and so I was really worried about launch day. That was another thing. So numbers and launch day. And I was like, I really want to have a big, you know, launch. Yeah. And I realize now that none of that matters. Like what you really want to do is be putting out um, a product or content that really helps people. Um, and when you do that, even if you only sold 10 of them, those people will, will take that and say, wow, this is amazing, and I need to share that with a friend. And so even if you don't have big numbers on launch day, you know, a month later, your numbers might continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, and so that, to me, that was um, a big lesson was that how many you sell on that one day 
doesn't matter at all. And even the numbers themselves, um, over, even over the long term, people obsess about those numbers. You know, that, those numbers are really meaningless over the long term. Over the long term, what really matters are is are you helping people? Are you building trust? Do they, you know, do they really want to come back for more? Uh, and and um, are you making the world a better place? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's what matters to me. That's, those are some awesome tips, Leo. I want to thank you for your time um, and for just sharing. These are, these are some real, real gems. So thanks, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for letting me share that. And here's Josh Shipp, founder of Youth Speaker University and an insanely popular youth speaker. Like he does balloon animals and he even toured with Bill Cosby. I mean it, the Bill Cosby. What was the first, uh, what was the first product you ever made? Yeah, I made this like $10 quote. <laughs> you're going to laugh at this motivational CD for kids. <laughs> I was, like how with each word, it got better and better. $10 quote, yeah. motivational CD for kids. <laughs> with, with, with each word I released, I got more and more scared of how you were going to respond. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, was, tell me a little bit about it real quick. I, well, it was terrible. I remember that. Uh, I hadn't yet gone through puberty, so I, don't, I didn't have the, the deep voice that you hear today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, to be honest, it was just very unrefined, very raw, but it was it was essentially a crappy version of what I eventually wanted to do a really great version of. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's certainly part of this product conversation is that in order to one day make like an amazing product, the product you're thinking you're going to make your first time out, you need to start by making a like kind of a decent version of it. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, that's really the thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's more about what you'll learn uh, than what you'll earn the first time out. Yeah. As the kids say, it's not about the money, money, money. I just want to make the world dance. <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's really cool. I like those kids. Um, Forget about the oh, price tag. <laughs> since then, since then, you've released a lot of stuff. You've created some really successful "quote unquote" products, right? Yeah. And and this you, you uh, coming from a long tradition of of doing what is essentially like client services work instead you're speaking on stage so as you put it in in your founder story and fizzle that's coming out soon you have a high paid high paid manual labor job and so right. then you've created these products and these things are really producing revenue and and they're being successful and people really dig them and they're so, not manual labor which is good yeah um so going back to uh, um I'm going to ask you two questions, given kind of what you know now. Looking back on making your first product, um, what was that? What was that like? That first time going from like you know doing speeches and whatever, doing your skits that you do with the little kids, um, your <laughs> your what your balloon animals or whatever yeah. it is you do. Oh, would you like a poodle? There you go. Life, <laughs> life transformed. <laughs> so going from that into making your first product, like what was what was that like? Uh, well, I remember the first time someone bought the CD. I think it was called like Identify or something. You could probably Google image it and find an image of it. Uh -huh. uh, but I remember the first time that an absolute stranger bought it, meaning someone that hadn't seen me speak or someone who wasn't my relative or close friend that I would know on a first name basis. Yeah. Uh, that $10 purchase completely changed the course of my business. Hmm. 
because, and again, that's why I say it's not about the money, but it's about what you'll learn. It's not about what you'll earn. It's about what you'll learn. It's because that really opened up my eyes to, uh, you know, there's more than one way to do what I want to do. There's more than one way to want to put out a good, entertaining message to kids. And it doesn't always have to be that manual labor thing, meaning get on a plane, get away from my family and the people that I love and all that sort of thing and, and go do it. So um, cr- creating it was fun. Um, selling it was scary. But that first, that, that, ten, that is the $10 that literally changed my business. Because you went from this high paying manual labor job of you have to be on site giving a message in order right. to get money or just like, you know, a lot of people in the Fizzle Show audience have to be there doing the work, designing the website or writing exactly. the copy or doing the thing. They have to do that in order to make the money as opposed to it's just over there selling. Yeah, well, it's really important to me personally. This is just like a conviction of mine. Uh, I want to be able to scale both impact and income. And I realized that just going out and, and doing these speaking gigs and this and that, my my impact was certainly limited, as was my income, by the by the amount I was going to be willing to travel on you know airplanes and eat crappy food and stay in random hotels and that sort of thing. But but that's why that purchase changed my life. Is it was like, holy cow, there is literally an unlimited audience for me to reach out to. Uh, I just need to, I remember the question was, how can I take what I'm doing on stage and sort of pull it, pull, pull that out and stick it in a box? Hmm. You know, like, how can, how can I put this thing that I want to do, this service-oriented business in a box? Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that was really that question I was asking myself, and and the CD was sort of the first venture into that. So, if you could, this is a final question here. If you could go back to that Josh Ship making that <laughs> making that quote motivational CD <laughs> for kids, <laughs> um, I I know you have a copy. What advice would you give him? All right, so uh, two things. The first thing is going to be be about creating the thing, and then the second thing is going to be about selling the thing. Roger that. Uh, so about creating the thing, really define your audience. And, I mean, we all understand that. I know you guys cover that in Fizzle. But a little add-on to that would be have a visual reminder of who your audience is mm-hmm. while you're creating the product. So as an example, I created this product for my godson, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. He's sort of the age. He's kind of struggling with the stuff. His aspirations are kind of the stuff of my audience. Yeah. So literally, when I was sitting down to write, or when we were doing the audio recording, I would literally have a picture of Isaiah there with me. Hmm. Um, and, and that I'm not saying that's going to make your product better, but I'm saying it's going to remind you that you're not just speaking into a microphone. You're not just talking over a Skype call. Like there's an actual person who's going to consume this product eventually. And you've got to remind yourself that A, they're human. B, you, you know what they're going through, both good and bad, because you know Isaiah. Because I know Isaiah. I don't know every kid in the world, but I do know Isaiah. And every kid in the world is some iteration of Isaiah. Hmm. Um, you know, so, so that was really helpful. Now, on selling the thing... Um, my biggest piece of advice, and it's going to be pretty daring, is to pre-sell your product. Hmm. Meaning, if you decide three months from now, 
you want a three-week video course on how to do better animated cat gifs uh, and and like pre-sell that thing now and mm. three reasons why number one creating the sales pitch forces you to make decisions about what the product is and is not mm. uh you know so many times we can want our first product to be like everything and everything we know in a box and all-encompassing and these sorts of things uh, and then when you realize that now it's time to sell it to people, you're like, oh, man, I don't. this product is kind of for kids, but it's kind of for parents, and it's kind of for educators, and it's yeah. kind of for elderly gardeners. <laughs> yeah. God, what a, what a booming market. <laughs> well, it's my market. Stay away. <laughs> um, but, you know, going through that, that challenging slash fun slash painful process of kind of creating that sales pitch forces you to make important decisions prior to creating the product. Um, secondly, if you pre-sell the product, uh, you could fund the creation of the product this way, assuming that you have a list or a blog or a following or something somehow. You know, a lot of people are doing this now with Kickstarter, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, and I think perhaps the most important thing, because if you're anything like me, um, I created my first product in 2002 when really I should have created it in 1999, yeah. meaning I just procrastinated the crap out of the thing. Yeah. Um, if you pre-sell the product, you now have 11 people expecting you to deliver the thing in the time period you said you would. Hmm. And I think there's no greater accountability than other people that we actually care about because we actually care about our audiences saying, you promised me you were going to get me a thing. Now you better get me the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that accountability for you to just knock it out, complete the next step, do the thing, publish it, get it out there is really helpful. Oh, man. Well, this is so awesome. Thanks, Josh, for your time, man. Yes, sir. Oh, my head is like kind of spinning from those. Sorry, we, we like syncing up our Skypes and getting ready to record again. Those are so good. Don't you guys think? Yeah, I mean, partly, I mean, they're all good on their own, but it's also great to hear all of them in succession to hear what's common and what's not about each yeah. of the stories. And what's great is, I mean, this is four of like a bunch that I already have and that Corbett, you and I have been recording a bunch of these with people. And I just can't wait to give them all to people because they really, they, collectively, they tell a, a story. They absolutely do. They're like, well, the, first of all, they're, they're really successful people. Like they've built really successful businesses doing this stuff. And this is them giving their best advice on the thing that makes them probably the most revenue. Um, and so it, it's kind of a big deal to be able to like get access to this stuff, I feel like, in some ways. But again, just that, the fact that we, can, we get to hear them all right next to each other. Yeah. It just it makes you hear it sort of differently, doesn't it? And yep. and not and not just for the advice, but also for the experience that each person went through. And you kind of see how different people had different hangups about creating their first product. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of just depends on the world you come from and the sort of headspace you're in when you create that thing. You know, some people think it's a really big deal. Other people don't. Some people end up creating a real turd the first time around. Some people create something yeah. that's really great. It's kind of all across the map. Yep, absolutely. So, um, so okay, here, let me give you my, my summary of some of the, the best points that, or like the points as I would like sort of lay them out. Um, okay, I think there's uh, about five of them here. Okay, first of all, Anne, with uh, the fact that she didn't see how valuable the stuff she knew was. And I totally resonate with that. It wasn't until I started putting things out there 
uh, like that felt to me like basic things, like things that I do on an everyday basis, regular stuff. And then you hear how people go like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, like when I recently showed John Lee DeMoss how to use uh, a noise gate uh, differently so that he w- it would cut down like all the work that he had to do on his on his podcast. And he was just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's so valuable. The things that we know, like the way that Brett Kelly knows how to use Evernote just randomly because he just geeked out about it a little bit. You know, the way that uh, that Steve Cam knows about whatever, uh, paleo or strength training or something like that, just because he geeked out about it a little bit, ends up being so valuable to someone that that you don't know how valuable it is until you start putting it out there and yeah. hearing back. And I think the, the, the right candidate for that are those things that you do where a couple of years goes by and you don't even feel like you're working hard on learning that thing. You just put the time in and all of a sudden, like, you know how to edit videos really well, or you know how to, you know, do audio editing or whatever it is, that little technical stuff or maybe non-technical, whatever. It's just that thing that doesn't feel like work to you and that, you know, your friends and family members are constantly asking you, you know, for help about like, those are great candidates to turn into something you can teach. Yeah, it's yeah. the things that everyone else is asking your opinion on or getting feedback on whatever they're doing and you know viewing you as an expert in that thing. And usually yeah. it's because you've been doing it for so long that, yeah, you've had to Google search a thousand different things to learn all the different skills you have. But if you can take all those things and highlight the most you know valuable ones like Anne was talking about, people go crazy over that stuff. Yeah. Then from uh, from Matt, it was this concept of j- be humble. You don't know what you're doing, and no one else does. So Matt started up, a, a, uh, did a, a men's sort of fashion and lifestyle startup in a, a space that's really grown. I mean, you've heard of Guilt. You've heard of uh, maybe like some Frank and Oak or Everlane or things like this. There's this crazy growth in this sort of men's fashion slash men's fashion plus like sort of tech and, and the things that we've learned from from new channels and marketing and editorial and stuff like that. And so he's doing he's done a new startup in that called Need Lifestyle. And as a result, he's raised a bunch of money. He's got amazing investors and all this other stuff. And so he really jumped into some serious deep waters in the big big boy league. And his takeaway from that is, uh, you know, he was intimidated by stuff, but but looking back, he shouldn't have been. Yeah, he didn't know as much as these people about their industry, but that was an asset to him. And looking back, he says, you know what? I it was it's good. Just be humble. Realize you don't know everything, and that's also kind of an asset. You know, you don't know what you're doing, and no one else does. And that's something that I have kind of you know I have on my whiteboard like the undies written out, and that's what the undies little that little icon of the undies on my whiteboard means is like, hey, when you're about to get on the call with some bigwig, remember that hey, he's got stinky bits. You know, she's got unseemly bits that she doesn't want to share with the world or whatever. We're all humans and we're all figuring it out as we go. And so don't be so intimidated by everybody. I thought that was a super important thing for me to learn, at least. And anyone that doesn't know what they're doing didn't before they learned how to. Yeah, or before they like got some book from someone who had to learn on their own, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, so then from, uh, from Leo, it was, I loved this part. The fact that he was blogging beforehand that's what built the trust. And so your your cell isn't all about your landing page or your conversion stra- strategy or the color of your button or whether or not you really nailed the value proposition. The cell goes all the way back to, to you blogging right now or podcasting right now or building that relationship, being somebody trustworthy right now. Like that's, that, that's what I love. Like I hate uh, that, that the, the, when there's so much focus and emphasis on like the launch of the thing, 
that it's like it doesn't even matter what you're making as long as you nail these tactics in the launch and the sequence and all this other stuff. You know, that's become sort of a trend uh, in in this sort of online world. When really, I, uh, from half the people here, you'll you'll hear the same thing about uh, about. I wish I wouldn't have cared so much about launch and about numbers. I yeah, just wish I, mean, I wouldn't. A have. Launch can get you a guest post or a nice headline, but is it going to pay for your mortgage for the next yeah. however many years? It, it, yeah, Probably and not. in four in four years, your launch won't have mattered that much, but yeah. your product still very much can. Yeah, and and this is something that I think we've talked about before. A lot of people base the success of the thing they created on the first week sales basically like they they spend months working on something they get it out there and the first week they let make or break their feeling towards that thing that they created whether or not they hit the numbers they were looking for but as leo just said that first product that he created which was must have been like six years ago still makes sales today. So imagine when he launched that thing, he had no idea that it would be selling for six years. But if you added up all the revenue that he made for the following six years from that one product and um, attributed that to the effort that he put in originally, it was probably a huge home run in terms of, you know, return on effort. Yeah. And to me, that is, that is sort of, um, I'll jump into this, this little bit right now before kind of finishing my last two points why why are we talking about products why would anybody want like why why is there such a first of all i hate that we have to call it product uh and that that feels so special you know and whereas the rest of the business world that's all they know it's either you're either a product or a service <laughs> you know what i mean right but because we're we're coming from this blog sort of world this world where we can create an audience and do things we can create so much activity and not make a product something to sell you know, that we have to actually make it sort of a special deal because this isn't a blog post. It's a product. It's something worth someone else's buck. Um, so why are we talking so much about this? And I love, I love, uh, what you just said right there, Corbett. That kind of nails it for me. And also the way that Josh Ship talks about it, where he talks about how, um, th- his service oriented business, this thing that he was doing, his high paid manual labor job, he wanted to put that in a box. And the way that he put it, he wanted to maximize that, the, the income and the impact of, of his thing. And by doing that, by basically putting it in a box and making it available to anyone anywhere, he, he, what he says is basically an unlimited amount of, uh, an unlimited audience can get their hands on this thing. And that you impact know? part is huge. Yeah. Because it's really easy to think, oh, if I sell this to more people, then we'll make more money or whatever. When you package it in a way where you don't have to go to a conference and speak to fifty to a hundred people yeah. to get to have them get the information, yeah. the impact is huge because you can just reach that many more people. No yeah, matter what absolutely. You're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what we're talking about. You know, it's like the difference between uh, the way you just put it, Corbett, talking about Leo's thing. It's like you're creating an asset. You didn't do a bunch of work, like a blog post. In a lot of ways, ninety nine percent of the blog posts that you're right, you're going to write it. You're going to release it, and then it's going to just get a handful of traffic a little bit, you know, uh, over the over the course of its life, you know. But most of the traffic in a in a week will come from that like first little little bit, if it does anything. Now there are outliers to this. Like we have a post on Corbett. You wrote a post on motivation, right? That somehow Google just loves that article, right? <laughs> and and we get so much traffic from people from so many places. Yep. In life, getting landing on that thing and a bunch of crazy comments just, you know, just because they're coming from all these different kinds of places. And that post isn't that valuable to us because it's not, it's just sending us, uh, you know, all manner of people. So it's not about traffic people, right? Um, but, uh, 
again, the differences between like that's that's a, an outlying sort of blog post. Whereas I can spend a lot of time writing a blog post, or I can spend a lot of time writing a uh, creating like a product that teaches someone exactly how to do a specific sort of thing. Um, that product is more likely to to be an asset, something that produces you know returns over a long over a long period of time than the blog post. Now the blog, now, I'm not saying there's no point for blog posts. But of course there is. The blog post is so great because it builds that trust because it, it builds you know a relationship with people and everybody someone's more willing to look at your blog post and they are to spend money on your thing, right? Right. Um, but the point being, when we're creating these products, we're creating an a- an asset, kind of in the way, like, did you guys ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I, uh, I read the, the Cliff's Notes versions of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, but just in the way that he talks about... I think about, I saw the infomercial. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> or maybe the, which, maybe the poster for the f-ing conference where they're going to upsell you on a $2,000 something totally. that you don't need. Absolutely. It's an, it's like an industry of itself that, that one little, you know, rich dad, poor dad thing. Yep. But the book itself, I remember reading it. I I don't, I I don't remember anything else besides the one like main point of, of, you know, rich people buy assets and poor people buy Gatorade or something like that. Um, but (laughs) that was it. Gatorade. Yeah. It's like, look how much Gatorades increase. That's poor people. That's the quote on the front of the book from, I don't know. R.L. Stein or something. (laughs) R.L. Stein. Oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Corbett, am I making sense when I'm talking about the asset? You are, but I think it's also, there's also a teaching moment there about um, the kinds of blog posts that people are creating. A lot of them are just throwaways. Whereas the real reason that a product is going to stand out is because the intention with which you created it was to teach someone something useful that they could use to change their lives or their business or whatever. And you put it in one big package and you spent weeks or months creating it. If you dedicated that time to a blog post, then that blog post itself might be an asset that brings people in for many, you know, for years to come. Um, so I agree, a product's more likely to do that, but I think you could also create a blog post that does that as well if you spend enough time on it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of, of summarizing it. So that's why we're talking so much about these the the products because it's sort of a special moment in someone's life when they in their business when when they go from just you know creating an audience you know stewarding that trust and and value and relationship to turning that into a very specific thing to charge a dollar or more for yeah that that then you know like I love when Josh talks about that moment you know so many people talk about that moment when it's they get their changing. first their first dollar their first thing from Somebody they never met before. Oh, it takes who, you from it takes you from hobby to business, or from pipe dream to you know real business, or from playing business to actually doing business. You know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to support yourself somehow, and uh, you know, a product or a service or something is probably going to be at the core of that. Okay, and then my last bit, uh, because my last little point in here, because because the second to last was the putting the service oriented business in a box from from Josh. I love that part. Um, but the, then uh, there, this bit from uh, from Leo and Josh was your first is a learning process. That's the way that Leo said mm-hmm. it, and the way Josh said it was you need to start by making a crappy first version. <laughs> and I just I love those two together. Because that's really it. So, because we're so, there's all these, so there's all these roadblocks to getting started with a product. Um, and what I want to do with the rest of our time is, is talk about what I think is sort of the first roadblock, which is, um, where do I, where am I going to get my idea 
for my product? And I think the que- that question gets easier to answer when we can say, what's the first crappy thing, crappy product I'm going to make going to be about? Instead of like, what's my first product, you know? Anne was talking about like, oh, that, I could never make that. That wouldn't be sexy enough. It won't be good enough. You know, and so if we can get pull our level our mindset down to just like, no, make something crappy, super crappy for as just a first version. Because when you get your first buck, make it worth someone's dollar, sell your first buck. And this is something that we're really big on. Just, you know, implement all the stuff, make your first dollar, and then you'll, your mind will be like, oh, yeah, I see how this works now. Yeah. I know what I, I know what I want to do differently next time. You'll probably already know, you know? Well, and the phrase Josh used uh, a couple of times was your goal is to learn more than you earn the first time around. I mm. think that's that's brilliant because there is so much to learn. Um, and the, if you think about the four stories that we just heard, I don't know about Matt and where his idea came from, but for Josh, Leo, and Anne, I think they already knew the first idea that they were going to move forward with for yeah. months or even in some cases years before. Anne knew what she was going to do two years before and yet didn't get around to doing it until she had enough confidence. Yeah. So you probably don't have to look that far for your first idea. You just have to give yourself permission and then put your head down to actually do the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, these are just the first four of several to come and some others coming have a little more tips and tricks about like the idea where stuff, um, but we couldn't fit them all in, into one episode. So there, there's going to be more coming in, in the next couple episodes. Yeah. But, um, so my, my thought on, on the idea stuff is, is I, I guess I've been remarkably surprised, uh, at how cheap the idea stuff really is. Like how many ideas you can come up with a day if you're working out that that idea muscle. If you're at all, if you and I find that you know I kind of agree with James Altucher here that your idea is your idea mechanism in your head is a muscle and it gets better the more you use it. And I kind of think that in order to use he, he what what James Altucher says is he has all these little like waitress pads all around his house. You know, like the pads that a waitress would take down your order on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has those all over his house, and and he makes a habit of writing down a bunch of ideas a day. Um, and so he just and he doesn't care about finding them. Like when they when he needs to have them, he just needs to get the ideas out because he needs to keep his mind muscle working that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just keeps it sharp. It keeps you sort of fluid in that regard. And I think it's totally true for me. I think there's something to be said for I also kind of need to be doing the execution on at least one of those ideas because that makes that refines the idea muscle as well. Um, but that's a, that's the first lesson for me or has been for me is is the more you are able to simply get those ideas out into something, the more ideas you end up having. Have you guys experienced that? Yeah, and you have to have a system for cataloging all of them yeah i would look at this now like yeah you have to have a system yeah you have to have a system i mean that's pretty much all you need you need (laughs) he has his little waitress pads i use my phone and evernote or whatever we're talking about how you say it not not what you're saying yeah no no what what what's your system caleb the maple kind (laughs) yeah 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 what was in there (laughs) yeah yeah then then what'd you do my system for ideas is all in Evernote. In Evernote. So yeah. when you're on, when you're out and about, and you have an idea, what do you do? I 
open up drafts on my phone and add it to Evernote, and then I file mm. it later into what it goes into, whether it's like a fizzle show idea, a sparkline post, something for my personal blog, whatever. If it's a task, then it goes into OmniFocus. Yeah. Do you have uh, any sort of like a uh, keyword or, or tag sort of thing that you do in Evernote? Kind of. I picked up similar things from you so that it's consistent for fizzle. So QFS is fizzle show and yeah, like that. that I find that that has changed my life forever. It's something I picked up from Merlin Man like five years ago, and so the David Allen getting things done thing is once something's out of your head, that's good. But what makes the big difference is when it's out of your head in some place that you actually trust you're going to find it when you need it. Right. So that's that system you're talking about. That is the the that change that is a game changer. It's not on a notepad somewhere that I'll probably never find. You know, it's in Evernote with QSP for Sparkline or QS QFS for yeah. So and the reason why again we use QFZ for Fizzle, QSP for Sparkline, these weird sort of things is because they don't show up in words. And so I can search across all Evernote for QSP and find every note that I have for a Sparkline uh, post. Right, and I've got like thirty in there right now that are that are great, and I just haven't been able to write them yet. Right, so that being able, and then that, that that's that's been my process for like five years. Um, and once you're in that habit of knowing you're going to be able to find those things when you need them, it's just. And, I, and by the way, I, I don't think it's inconsequential. Uh, Caleb, the the drafts app makes things so nice and easy. If you're on iOS, I don't know if they do it on Android yet. But it's just an app that basically you, you open it up and you're just in a text field and you can write whatever you want. And then you click this little button and you've got a bunch of different actions that you can do with it from there. So we can send it straight to Evernote from there. It can send you an email. It can send someone else an email. It can just create an, a blank email. I use it, it to can, tweet. Yeah, you can use it to tweet, to throw it into OmniFocus. A ton of apps integrate with it. So we really like the Drafts app for that. Okay, so okay, let's let's pull out of the rat hole. First of all, that idea of ideas come from using up ideas. And and I think that is important. Um, Then the other one for me is to think really small. Uh, If you think small about your first crappy product, it, it, it just gets infinitely easier. Like for example, again, to this point that like ideas are cheap. Like I have a million ideas. I, you could call me up, tell me about your business. I'll give you a hundred ideas to make for a product. The question is, which one are you going to make? That's, you still haven't answered your question in that regard. So um, <laughs> just know that those ideas are super cheap, and then you're going to still going to have to make a decision about which one to do. And I like, the, as a decision-making process, to think small. Because then the smaller the thing is, the less space between the beginning, middle, and end of the thing. And, and you can actually make something and put it out there and and get get people using it and then get feedback on it. And then within the first month or two, you can, you can put out 2.0. You can make some revisions and updates according to that feedback and then put it out into the world. I just think that's a huge tip. So what do you guys think? Define small a little bit. So like, for example, I, I've, I still want to find this product of, uh, how to use calendars between a husband and wife team. How to use Google calendar for a husband and wife, just family, right? 
I just, it's super small. It's such an easy, small sort of thing. You can, you can identify like 10 common things that a, that a family would want to do. Me putting things on her calendar, her putting things on my calendar, how we use events, uh, coming up with some sort of a language, a shorthand for things, uh, just a handful of things, right? And then you put out 1.0. That's just a small time deal. Instead of how to be a blogger, how about it's like how to, you know, I don't know, 10 effective emails to write. Or ten effect, ten lessons on uh, wh- on on copywriting or something like that. Uh, even that's too broad. Meaning, going really specific and 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 small for your first time around, and then kind of growing up from from there. I don't know. Do you guys have some examples of this being small? Well, I mean, I have examples of a lot of people that approach us with really big ideas. They say, oh, I'm going to create this marketplace. It's going to revolutionize healthcare, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and you, you ask the Obama person. a lot? Is that what happened? What's that? You talk to Barack Obama a lot? Yeah, exactly. And you, uh, you. He just talk- calls him B. Hey, B. What's up, bro? What up, B? <laughs> B-O. We, uh, Shout out to O. <laughs> When you ask the person what their experience is and it's clear that they've never created a product before, it's it's just obvious that they're not going to be able to pull off that big vision. So the biggest issue as an entrepreneur is um, all the risk around creating something that either never gets off the ground because you can't finish it or you launch it and it's just not fully baked and not a great idea that people are interested in. So you spend all that time and effort. So it's a better plan to try to short circuit that process and get something out there that proves people want it early on and that is within your realm of, you know, execution possibilities because ideas are a dime a dozen as Chase said we all have dozens of them every day the question is which one can you actually pull off and if you're only going to get a limited number of tries at this because you're going to use up all your resources and energy um which you know which ones can you be smart about getting out quickly to learn from the process, iterate, and do a better job next time. Yeah. So we have like a, just a, a, a few more minutes left. What, what else, if anything, do you guys want to say about this roadblock of trying to figure out your your first idea for a product? Well, a couple people said they wish they would have done it sooner. I mean, Josh said he wished he would have done it in 1999 instead of 2002 yeah. and said mm-hmm. she waited two years to put hers out. Yeah. So just don't wait too long. I thought it was so great how Anne was such a team player too, in, in all regards. Like she was working for Laura Roeder or doing some work with her, and she asked Laura if Laura wanted to do that product with her before she went off and did it herself, you know? And then when she, someone else put out essentially the same product, she just approached them and said, let me do one of your, your, uh, bonus bits in yep. your product, right? I just, I love that collaboration. And this sort of like this sort of grit of of like I, I don't care what you put out this week. Like I, in five years, I'm going to have the best thing on the market. I'm going to still be here, even if it's not the best thing on the market. I'm going to still be here. You know? Yeah. I just loved that. And uh, in the case of again, Anne, Leo, and Josh, what I liked was that they basically just packaged up work that they were already doing in other yeah. ways. Anne was doing it, you know, as a service provider. Josh was doing it speaking. Leo was just publishing these things for free on his blog. Each of them packaged up the things that they were already good at, the things that they were already doing into a product for sale. And then they, you know, added to it and I'm sure made it flow well so that there was a specific outcome people could expect from it. But 
Again, you don't have to look that far for your first good idea, and you don't even have to recreate a bunch of material. A lot of times, the thing that's going to be best for you to package up is the thing that you already know best, which is the thing that you do every day. Yeah. And I guess, to, first of all, that, that, I mean, that's a huge point. That, then you're going to hear a lot of people say that exact point. The, the product comes from the work you're already doing. You're doing it with 10 clients at a time and you wish you could do it with a hundred, but mm-hmm. you can't. Yeah. Um, and so you, you recreate the, you, you see the patterns and you recreate the thing. That happens to a ton of people. So if you don't have your idea for a product yet, maybe you don't, maybe the, the, the work is, uh, and again, we should say this, by the way, like not everybody should be making a product, right? I mean, you might not be ready yet. You might not know who you are or what you're here for in a lot of ways. So we're not saying, I don't care who you are or what you're good at, just go make your product. I am saying that if you do, you're probably going to have your life changed forever. But, but these things happen you know, somewhat naturally over time. It's just common that we hear and, that, and we have that same story ourselves. We wish we'd have done it sooner because we actually knew more than we thought we did. Kind of to what to what Matt said, like we felt inadequate, and Anne said the same thing. We felt inadequate, but turns out I didn't need that was that was unnecessary for me to feel that way. I knew I knew if you haven't listened to twenty seven episode twenty seven when we talked through the seven steps that Corbett laid out. Yeah, the product is one of the last steps. So there's a lot of stuff to do before you get to this episode, even. Yep, absolutely, and that's the seven. What do we say? Seven steps to making your first product, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so anything else to add, you guys? I'm good. I think uh, I think our lovely guest said it better than we could. Yeah, Caleb, I'm all good. I want to hear all the rest of these, but I know <laughs> we have to wait to record. Yeah, this, this is a great series. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's gonna be really cool. Um, okay, I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr, and I've been Caleb Logic, and we are the ones in the night that are eating. <laughs> so watch Change your back. Yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. Our thanks to Anne, Matt, Leo, and Josh for your thoughts here. We're so happy to have your points of view on this topic. Listen, you can find out more about these folks at fizzleshow.co slash 35. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 35. You'll see links to those people, uh, a bit of a motivational rally from me. I think it's pretty good. And you'll see that amazing video of the dog and the, the donut. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. And it's, and it's really there. I've embedded it. You just have to click play. If you liked this, please leave us an honest rating in iTunes. It doesn't cost you much, and it means the world to us because it helps other hopeful entrepreneurs find this show. Simply search for the show in the iTunes store and click write a review. And you know our goal here is to help you know, budding business builders feel more comfortable in their own skin. So when you leave us a review, we hear that it helps other people find us. So thanks so much. And I can't help this. I, I so love, we read every single review and I love so much when people put the little inside jokes in the reviews. So here's a great one from Wushuzilla. So good, it should be illegal. Don't take my word for it. Go listen to it. It's great info for business builders of all sorts. Your hosts are Corbett, Caleb, and Chase. If this were Doctor Who, Corbett would definitely be the doctor because he keeps regenerating into better versions of himself. Caleb would be the doctor's companion. Ooh, that sounds risky. Uh, Because he is always connecting the doctor to humanity and helping him stay on task. And Chase 
would be K9, the robotic dog, because Chase also runs on batteries and has an endless supply of tricks up his sleeves. Oh, thanks, Wooshuzilla. We're in this together, folks. You're not alone, and it's not a win-lose, zero-sum game. Make something you care about. I'm wishing you all the best at the start of 2014. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks, and talk to you next Fizzle Friday.